Hello and welcome to Game on Girl, the podcast where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. And today we're going to we're going to take a few steps back. Maybe more than a few steps back. Yeah. And uh, we're we're going to call this episode Game Culture 101. And our basic idea today is we know most of you who listen to the show are gamers. And, and we know we have a, a pretty captive audience in terms of you guys know what we're talking about because, you know, gamers, gamers got lingo and yes. you guys know the lingo. <laughs> what we're hoping to accomplish with Game Culture 101 is to give you guys an episode you can take to that person in your life who's not a gamer and help explain to them why it is you do what you do and what you do and what you're doing when you do what you do. Yeah. It's sort of to demystify the green tentacle two headed monster that they may imagine in their heads (laughs) as someone that they can identify with more than they think. Right. Exactly. Like, like what, what is it that, that makes this game, which is part of what has always been of interest to me in this is what is it that brings people to gaming? What is it that keeps people gaming? And so today we're just going to cover the basics of some of the terminology that we throw around on the show a lot. Uh, we're going to go over what those terms mean in, in more detail than we generally do during the regular episodes and when we're, when we're talking to other gamers or interviewing people. We're going to talk a little bit about culture in general, like what happens in-game and what you're doing, and a little bit about the the things that you're doing while you're gaming. So anybody who doesn't understand or who doesn't game might get a better idea of what it is those of us that are gamers get out of this process. And why it's it's so encompassing. Exactly. It's far from just, um, although to me, anything in your life can be an addiction, mm-hmm. but it's it's far from that in reality when people look at it. It's not necessarily that it's an addiction or an escape from real life. Uh, it The gaming culture now is a whole lot more than that. It's, you know, just a it's a club. It's a lot of like-minded people doing things that they all like. Exactly. And it's, and it's a very social space. And, and maybe that's, that's part of what we should start with. Um, you know, gaming, yeah, perfect. gaming, gaming is social. Um, even if you are a lone person playing on your console and you happen to play a game, you, you know, that you play alone, that you're not playing in a team or a group or, you know, connected online with anybody, even even that ends up being a social thing because you end up talking to somebody about it or you get stuck on a certain point and you go online to see if maybe somebody has done a walkthrough of the particular area you're in or you go on a forum and post a question and start talking about that. So at the base funda- fundamentals of gaming, gaming is social. Right, right. Even, you know, like with my mother, I introduced her to Plants vs. Zombies, and she just was thrilled with it, but she got to the last level, and she's like, I, I don't know what to do with this guy. <laughs> so her, her and I talked about it, you know. Right, right. And then that gives you guys common ground to come to, to talk, mm-hmm. to, to deal with, to em- embrace, and, and, you know, another thing to add to your, you know, repertoire of mother-daughter conversations. How do you deal with yeah that big guy at the end of Plants vs. Zombie, who is, here's for another term, he's a boss, right? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, that, that's what she's dealing with is at the very end of Plants vs. Zombies is uh, one of the main bosses. Right. And, and a boss is 
at a given level, the most powerful enemy you fight on that level. And if a game has multiple levels, more than likely, the common thing is, uh, each level will have a final boss or a final bad guy that you have to defeat before you can pro- uh, proceed to the next level. Right, exactly, exactly. That's the, the big finale of whatever level you're on, or the big finale of the game is the boss fight, so... Yeah, there's there's one of our one of our terms that we throw around. So very good. So how are how would we describe how the social gaming is divided up? I think that the the terms that we use the most is probably RPG and FPS. Yes, absolutely. And and there tends to be a very decisive line in much of game culture between those two groups. So for the uninitiated, RPG stands for role playing game. And for FPS, that's first-person shooter, right? And and there's a lot of similarities between both between both genres, really, between these this big division. And and people don't want there to be lots of a, a lot of people who who play specifically one or another style don't want there to be a lot of similarities between them. But there are. I mean, in both types of gaming, you're going out and killing bad guys or doing different things you need to do to finish whatever mission or quest you're on. The first-person shooter, uh, the FPS term, actually has multiple facets to it. But in the context that we're talking about is mainly uh, an approach to gaming, where first-person shooter more than likely is a single player or maybe at most uh, four players on a team uh, playing a game. And it's from the perspective of you as the character. So you do not see yourself in the game. What you typically see may be the gun that you're holding and you can see all the other characters on your team, but you actually don't see your face or your body. You might see your hand. Right. So it's from the first person's view, your view. Right. Exactly. And RPGs tend to be, have a different viewpoint. Yeah. RPGs tend to be uh, for a further back perspective as a character. You're usually in what's called third person perspective. So your avatar is on the screen and you can see the entire body of your avatar. So it's third person. You are sort of the omniscient character controlling the the avatar sitting back from the screen. So uh, sometimes in some um, some games you can actually, in some role-playing games like in World of Warcraft, which is an online role-playing game, you can actually zoom in and get a first-person perspective. But generally you need to be that little further back so you can see your, your area surrounding you just as much as what you're doing first-person-wise. Right. And you can, you can play RPGs, you can role-play and do from a third person perspective you can do that mm-hmm. as a single person but it's very very common for role playing games to be done with uh, guilds or with groups uh, guild is another term that you'll hear which basically just means usually the term is used very tightly and it's a group of people who play together on a regular basis right it's a, and uh, sometimes there are people who have formed out offline together who know each other who are friends who get together and game but sometimes you'll just jump into an online game and you'll find a guild or you'll look for a guild that's doing a particular play style. Like in World of Warcraft, there are raiding guilds, people who do the big end game, you know, 25 people 
um, together to game together events. And so sometimes you'll look for a specific kind of guild, a specific kind of people you want to you want to game with, etc. So that's one one aspect of of a guild is is essentially people playing together. And you also play in smaller groups in in role playing games. Generally, you play five people, and there are different uh, types of play within those five people who play together. Yeah, you've got, you'll hear terms like uh, tank, healer, and melee. Yep. And your tank is a person usually who is out front, and it is a character in the game that can take a lot of damage without dying. Right. Yeah, they have lots of, another thing that we throw around a a lot maybe is health points or HP. So they have a lot of, a lot of health to them. And so they get, they get beat up on while everybody else is running around them doing other things. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's like a a big distraction. Mm -hmm. It's, it's keeping bad guys who are doing the most damage is trying to keep them occupied while everybody else either takes out uh, minions mm-hmm. or flanks the boss right. and hopefully you know can kill him from the other side with, with more powerful weapons than maybe the tank owns right. and they can have more effect uh, of killing the boss, but they themselves do not have a lot of health points. Right, exactly. A lot of another category that we might throw around a lot too are DPS, which stands for damage per second. And those are the classes that do, you know, that are, are like your wizards or are referred to in the guild as squishies <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> who don't have a lot of health points and who are more likely to be injured in the fight. So they're doing their damage at a distance generally. So hunters and wizards and people who do spell casting would fall into those categories. Yeah, those are are pretty common class yeah, definitions. Yeah. Even though the games may vary differently, um, you're going to have... Uh, characters that fight at a distance, characters that fight up close, which is called melee. Yeah. Um, and melee also is sometimes just hand-to-hand combat. Right, yeah. Sometimes just having a short sword that you're stabbing at somebody with. Right, yeah. right. And then the other person that you really, really, really want to have on your... <laughs> and you want to be really nice to. <laughs> really nice to you is uh, your healer. And the healer has a, a multifaceted balance act that they have to perform. And usually they, can t- they have skills and special abilities that keep the guild alive. Exactly. Um, especially when they're fighting a boss and the tank is taking all this damage. The healer usually doesn't have a lot of DPS, but they stand in the background and they you know, heal this person, heal this person, heal this person to keep them from dying. Right. Their focus, instead of being on the boss or the bad guy that you're fighting, is on the team and is on keeping the team healthy and and not dying. Or if they do die, um, running away far enough um, and protecting themselves to the point where they can come back and resurrect everybody from being dead. <laughs> right. Right. And it's, it's a, actually a very, very challenging position to play it's complicated position and especially if you're getting new into a new game Mm -hmm. um, you either would like to try a distance fighter of some sort uh, like an archer or uh, a sniper but 
a healer is a good one to try as well. Right. If, especially if you're getting into a new guild or a new game and they are allowing you to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, a healer is a great way to get a, a really the full context of what's going on in the situation. Right. And to get a really good perspective on what's going on, because as you're keeping everybody alive, generally healers have a more distant perspective because they're standing in yeah. the back and they're more protected so they're often able to see the fights in a way that when you're melee or, you know, fighter or you're try are you worried about your reign of fire or whatever you're gonna bring down as DPS, you're you're more concerned about what's going on there than you are sort of the fight in a broader picture. And so they can often be really great strategists in terms of helping you oh, yeah. see what you're doing and where things sort of fell apart if they happen to fall apart and everybody died, which does happen. Yeah, especially if you got some uh, some guys on your on your guild who just sort of run off on their own, and exactly. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna Leroy Jenkins the situation, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like yes. now where where he's got to stay he's got to stay in range or at least right. in sight so you can heal them. Right. So yeah, it's a it's a real challenge. It is. Position. Yeah, it really is, and it's it's for me the social responsibility of healing has always been really hard to balance because I'm always worried about letting the team down about letting the guild down and my group that I'm playing yeah. with in terms of needing to keep people healed and and keep them from dying I always worry that somehow I'm not going to hold up my end of the bargain well enough for everybody so I I've been trying in past in the recent past to to do a little bit more healing but I haven't really gotten into the swing of it because um, it, it is a lot of responsibility and like I said you want to be really nice to your healer or you might be walking an awful lot with first person shooters the the kind of the other side of this coin um there's a game that i play with my friends uh called uh resistance and you play in a first person viewpoint but they also actually have a healer mm. and that's usually the position that i play um i can also shoot at the enemy or take care of the enemy right um but in first person shooters very often you will actually perform multiple roles. Right. Um, there are times where you're going to do hand-to-hand combat. There are times when you will need to be able to sniper shoot. And most of the time, you will uh, be just doing re- uh, regular shots with shotguns mm-hmm. or, or pistols and just doing combat, street combat or combat in buildings. But also what's uh, very heavily in game now, too, is just sneaking around. Right. Trying trying to avoid an altercation. Right. Which leads to one of the other points that we want to make about gaming culture and the basics of gaming culture. Yeah. Um, is is the idea of problem solving, which which we come up we come back to a lot on the show and we talk about a lot uh, that gamers are problem solvers. And and this is and that's an example of you know, one of the things you need to do. It's not always the best approach when you're in whatever situation you're in to go in guns blazing. <laughs> no, that's that's not the the end in, in all of the game. Right, exactly. And that that may be your instinct because you, especially perhaps in first person shooters, because that's half the fun sometimes of just going in and, you know, destroying them as best you can. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it, it doesn't always get you to to the end point of the game that you that you're wanting to reach. And I have a good a good example of that from a first person shooter game. As I've mentioned before, I play a game called Left 4 Dead, mostly Left 4 Dead 2 on Steam. And 
happened, I was playing a couple of weeks ago with some friends and one of the end fights, you go through several levels to get to this one final level and you're in a mall and you're trying to get away from the zombies. And there's a car in the mall, but it's a race car and it's on display and there's no gas in it. So in the last, the last fight for this level, you have to gather gas cans from all over the mall and they're always in different places they're always in different areas and you and your team that you're playing with have to run and get i think it's like 10 gas cans you have to get them back to the car and then you have to get them in the car to get the car started to get out meanwhile you have a mob of zombies attacking you yeah, a lot of cooperation needs to be going on there. Yes, you need to be coordinated with, you know, playing with each other, and everybody needs to sort of know what's going on. Well, so we were running through it, and we were, I know, eight of ten jugs of gas we needed to get. So so we're, we're most of the way through it. And one of the people who I didn't know, who I was just randomly grouped with, dropped one of the gas cans on top of, like, the pagoda roof. Now, you can get there as a player. You can jump down from the second level and get on there and pick it up and throw it down to people. Apparently, he didn't know that. I shouldn't say he. Apparently, this player did not know that. And instead of jumping down to get it, decided to blow it up instead. Hmm. <laughs> Which damaged all of us. Because <laughs> oh. all of us, were, we were almost done. So it was that one and one other, you know, can of gas we needed to finish the level. And so he blew it up and, you know, caused damage to everybody else and then jumped out of the game. Oh, wow. And so it was like, what, really? Yeah. You know, we're, we're about to face this huge mob of zombies. You blow us up, causing health damage to everybody and then leave. Yeah, a whole lot more team playing needed to go on in that situation. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, and to be to be fair, I don't know if this player knew, obviously knew a little bit about the game because he had jumped in and had been helping with everything. We still got left, you know, in a lurch. You know, the AI picks up and you have, you know, somebody still playing the character, but it's not a real... AI thing. is artificial oh, intelligence. There we go, yeah. The game, the game controlling itself. So yeah. then instead of that, that, that character being played by a person they become an npc which is a non-playable character and that's a character that's created by the game and like bosses or minions right. the the characters you encounter in the game that are run by the computer right. by the game itself right exactly so so that's one example of sort of um ineffective problem solving that went on in game <laughs> yeah but you can you can see how it's a lot more involved than just going in there, shoot all the zombies. Exactly. You have to have some communication skills and you've got to have someone who will make some decisions. Uh, you know, you don't need one person in the guild and then have absolutely everybody else just follow them around. Right. You've got to decide how you're going to split up. Yep. But at the same time, take care of each other because if you've got a healer in the guild and a tank in the guild, right. you, you definitely don't want them to split up and be alone. Exactly. Because they're not going to last very long. So there's a, there's a lot of challenge here in team building and problem solving uh, that takes place on some of these levels to accomplish what's going on. Absolutely. There's a, there's a lot more depth, I think, than if you are standing on the outside and you're not playing these types of games, um, there, there's a lot more that sort of goes on a lot more depth than, than you might otherwise know. 
Yeah, the the trailers for the games probably make it look like that. (laughs) (laughs) And that may be why there's such a misconception, because it just looks like bam, bam, bam all the time. Trailers or commercials for games are exactly the same as they are for the movies, where they're showing you the biggest, baddest explosions of what's going on, because that's what gets people to buy tickets to the movie, and that's what gets people to buy the games as well. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, my example is, again, from Mass Effect, and a couple of situations I ran into with that game, it's a first-person shooter, and I was playing it by myself against the computer or the uh, non-player characters, the NPCs. I had to, at two different situations, get to a designated point that it told me to get to, but between me and that exit point, we're just tons of bad guys. And so I'm thinking, okay, I've got to, I've got to shoot my way through. And typically you get XP or what they call experience points. That that's what, it's, it's like, uh, gathering Easter eggs. It's what gives you, it gives you credit. You just want to get as high a score as possible. It's scoring basically. But usually you get XP or points for every character, not NPC that you kill. So I'm thinking I've got to kill all these guys, kill all these guys. And it just seemed like it was never ending. And I kept dying and I would have to restart the level again. I was like, I'm just not getting through this. And finally it occurred to me, that's not the point. Right. The point is that they've told me I need to get through this door. Right. And so instead. That's what focus needed to be on. Yeah, I started Mm -hmm. using a little bit more finesse and strategy Mm -hmm. to distract the enemies, get them on one side of me so I could sneak around a a pole or a column or behind some couches and just get past them without them shooting me. And the level went smoothly at that point, because once I got through the door, that's all I needed to do. Right, because that that was the goal that you needed to focus on. Yeah, and I think we've already mentioned leveling before, mm-hmm. but in in most games, there are multiple levels that you can play, which basically is like graduating right. or going to the next grade. Mm-hmm. You collect a certain amount of experience, and once you have, you can go to a new level of the game that's just a percentage harder, more right. difficult, right. Where, and you just keep collecting that XP and accomplishing the set number of tasks at that level. Right. And then you can go to the next. Right, right. And that's how that's how you progress through the game. And the game gets more difficult as as you gain levels and as you do uh, more tasks and your, your tasks get more difficult. The bad guys that you're fighting get more difficult. All all of it sort of grows as you're as you're playing. Yeah. And and it increases the problem solving right. uh, perspective too, because they introduce the ideas of like in the first level, you'll be taught, you know, how do I hold my weapon? How do I shoot my weapon? Right. And what do the bad guys look at right. like? Right. And you get to On, learn what your special abilities are or anything you might yeah. be able to do. Yeah, you know, any type of magic or anything like that you can apply. And then on a second level, you might be shown, okay, this is how you you fight in uh, close combat, like right. tunnels. Right. Or they may put you in a field and you start tripping landmines. Mm-hmm. So you have to start being uh, more observant. Mm-hmm. And more cautious. Right. Uh, that's what was happening in Uncharted. I was fighting some guys on an island, and I couldn't 
hide behind crates and rocks like I could normally because all of a sudden there were booby traps. Right. There were trip wires. Right. So it had to be much smarter. Yeah, the game changed. The, the problem solving increased because the parameters of how you were playing the game changed. Yeah. Yep. Well, the last uh, thing we want to touch on for this is um, how game culture works in different outside of just gaming. So so we talked a little yeah. bit about how people engage on forums or on Xbox Live or other places you might you might talk to and get to know gamers. Another thing that our last episode was about the two uh, conventions that Ron and I went to, Dragon Con and PAX. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about the culture of those types of events and some of what happens at those events too. Yeah, what you might call um, RL or real life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so boring, that real life stuff. <laughs> it, it's what goes on in um, a real life gamer culture. Mm-hmm. And that's an aspect that I think has been getting a whole lot more visual attention um, in pop culture, especially. Yes. And I think that's the reason we want to address it. Uh, Comic-Con especially is right. a huge news item every right. year that it around yep and it's probably most commonly perceived as a convention of a bunch of weirdo costume freaks yes (laughs) and i don't mean to demean you know the the attitude or the view of the stereotype but that's kind of the way it's portrayed in a lot of the sitcoms Mm -hmm. you you get show up and um i know csi uh crime scene investigator tv show did a con uh, episode where a death was at a furry con. Naturally, because they'd have the, to go to the most sensational thing they could. <laughs> yeah, it was it was very fetish yeah. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and furries are are typically people who like to dress up like animals. Right, right. And that's what the con they use there. And it's it's not portrayed as anybody who who seems to be dealing with real life right right they they, so, they they fall back on the stereotypes that we're attempting to f- battle with game on girl <laughs> that idea that the people who are gamers are uh socially inept uh male and stunted in some way and and that tends to be the stereotype uh one example i thought of was on the show numbers where they had an episode where a very valuable comic book had been stolen and they needed to figure out who had stolen this very expensive comic book and all of the people involved were all sort of socially inept nerds and so Again, playing to the to that stereotype. Yeah, but a con basically is an abbreviation for convention, and I think everybody is much more familiar with the term of uh, convention, and that's basically all it is. It's people who are aficionados mm-hmm. or fans right. of a particular genre, and that genre just happens to be science fiction or comic books or computer gaming. Uh, it, it's like any other convention you might go go to co- for coin collectors or stamp collectors, yeah. doll collectors, you name it. <laughs> yeah, flower gardens. Mm-hmm. It's it's basically the exact same thing. The cons uh, range of different types of events that go on. Um, the con I talked about previously, Dragon Con, is very much a fan based con, and so what happens is you have a lot of 
uh, events where the fans get together and talk about the things that they like. They have they are finding people that they have something in common with and they discuss their TV shows or their literature or their artwork. Uh, they also have a wonderful gathering of great artists, mm-hmm. uh, Stan. Stan Lee, uh, the the famous Marvel comic, he, he's there every year. That's awesome. Yeah, he's he's really mm-hmm. he's really dedicated. Yeah. And at other cons, you you may play games the entire time because right. they're video game cons or board game cons. Yeah. That, but they're just people with common interests. Yeah, exactly. Who get together and and enjoy the same things. And enjoy talking about their passions, because if there's anything that even if you're listening to this and you're a noob, which means a new player, um, or you're learning about you're listening to this episode because someone close to you listens to the podcast and said, here, check this out. It'll it'll help you understand a lot of what goes on at the cons is is people engaging in their in their passion and and, and sharing in a community what they enjoy about what they do and meeting new people who like it as well. So again, as we continue to go back to same theme for this gaming is very social. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it, it not unlike any other club or interest. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's very but much the same. You've got to, you've got to admit Regina. I mean, how, how do you answer the idea though, if you've got a coin club that no one shows up dressed as a quarter <laughs> but yes. if you have a, a sci-fi con you ha- always have someone show up dressed as darth vader right darth vader or princess leia or uhura yes. or whoever else it is um i guess i guess how i would say is that that this this phenomenon of dressing up as your favorite characters is known as cosplay so c-o-s-p-l-a-y cosplay and it's where the enthusiasts take it that next step and and dress in costume of characters that they love. Or um, I saw at PAX a steampunk Luigi. So and what is steampunk? Steampunk is a, a subculture that uh, that that's sort of a, a fictional subculture that believes uh, what would have happened had steam power been the main form of, of power for, for the world. And so there, there's a lot of sort of antiquing looking uh, different um, uh, clockworks and gears and such that go on in, in steampunk and um, monocles and things like that that people wear. Yeah, they're, they're, they're very historically based yes. because it's set in the Victorian era and it is the Victorian era crossed with technology right exactly. and what if technology had been uh, significantly more advanced but everything run on steam exactly so there's a lot of there's a lot of thought and interest that that goes into yeah the, and you've got a great amount of detail that goes into to the steampunk um costumes yeah. from what i've seen and the, the steampunk luigi was was pretty adorable and he had you know the little bomb in um um the nintendo world that like has the little feet and it kind of wobbles and then blows uh-huh. up. He had one of those that he was carrying around, but it was gold and had like a little oh. chronicle on it. <laughs> oh, cute. So it was pretty cute. So it was an interesting sort of cross between gaming and steampunk. So those sort of two cultures sort of mesh together. So Now, is cosplay short for something? I think it's just short for costumed play, I think. Okay. I think. I'm not I'm not sure. Please don't cite me on that because I'm I'm not hundred percent sure of that. But that was always my impression was that was what it was. Yeah, I think the the biggest 
probably confusion about adults dressing up as Wonder Woman and uh, the Hulk <laughs> is that you're adults. Right. Because when you're kids, it's natural. Right. It is completely natural to see a kid pick up a bath towel and safety pin it around their neck and go flying across the yard. Right, right. Um, And that's highly encouraged. I think that the problem with adults thinking that that is a bizarre and weird thing is it's number one, it's an extremely creative process. It's, a, it's like writing a story. If you were to talk to someone about sitting down to write a story, I mean, they have to kind of enter that world in their head and imagine what's going on. Actors do this for a living. Right, right. And if I go out in my backyard and I shoot hoops, nobody think it's, thinks it's bizarre right. um, because I'm not a ba- professional basketball player. Right. You can have um, that as a hobby. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a professional actor, but, you know, in this environment at a con, I get to play roles that in my real life I don't normally get to play unless I just play them in my head. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you're in an environment of people with similar passions who accept that you're engaging in that and, and know and, and love it as well. So, yeah, it's it's mostly it is in honorarium it's in uh, a representation of the things that you love and respect and that you're a fan of um the other i I think the other group that tends to get a really hard time you may have heard the term larp and larp stands for live action role play right you may know more about this than i do regina i don't know very much about it but the it's it's basically taking the computer game or the fantasy games that are played digitally mm-hmm. on a computer or console and acting it out in real life right or or games that are um specific to to that group so some groups will make up their own games and their own universes and have their own yes. social roles and social rules that 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 the whole group agrees to and they will spend weekends together where they they and they perpetuate the stories they perpetuate the narratives they create for their characters so uh they'll get together every three or four months let's say for a weekend and they will have created a character and what happens on one weekend is then carried on into the next event and so they carry through those narratives and the the evolutions of their characters and their ages and what whatever else it is and who they're involved with romantically all that ties back into each and every encounter and so and that's another sort of you know branch off of all of these different kinds of role playing and and engaging in sort of personal and created narratives Mm-hmm. And one of the things I, I want to bring up, which we, we've touched on in many of the episodes, but I want to I want to sort of bring up. You said it about children. Children are encouraged to play. And there yeah. there comes some point where suddenly you're no longer encouraged to play. Right. Just no one. You know, you just get to this point and it's just like, OK, you need to be done playing now. You need to grow up. And I think that's the saddest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Because regardless of what it is that you like to play, if you like to LARP, if you like to do role-playing games, if you like to do first-person shooters, 
if you like to do social or mobile gaming where you're, you know, engaging with your friends on Facebook in a game or on, um, you know, some other platform where you, you engage, all of that play is valuable. Yeah. I mean, number one, I think the number one reason for gaming is social. There are people that I know that game specifically so that they can stay in touch with their cousins or their best friends. I mean, so many people now live miles and miles and miles away from the people that they love. Exactly. And online gaming or gaming that uh, can be done on the internet, basically through cable is a way they are able to stay in touch. They can talk to each other and they share an event, which would be the same thing if you went to a um, Six Flags or to a Fair Park or to a carnival. You go and play games. You play skeet or, you know, throw hoops or whatever. It's the same thing. It's a way to socially interact and have fun with the people that you love. So it's it's mainly a social event. Mm -hmm. But secondly, in my mind, it's an extremely creative event. Mm -hmm. Either it helps you with creative block. Mm -hmm. If you're a computer programmer, if you're a business manager, if you're you're marketing, a writer, Mm -hmm. it, it is a great way to get outside of the typical terminology, the typical visuals, and your typical pattern of thinking as well, too. Exactly. You get, you get exactly. stuck in a rut of thinking about something some way. You go play a couple minutes of Bejewel Blitz, and suddenly you might see something differently. Exactly. Yeah. Because th- th- that's what the game has been doing all along is just it's a problem solving. Right. You're, you're, fix- you're solving a puzzle. Yep. And it, it opens up and breaks some of those little connections between your brain cells. Exactly. So that, or it opens them up for more creative thinking. Right. Um, it also just keeps your mind active. Exactly. Um, your brain, if it becomes Oops. if it becomes stagnant and mm-hmm. you, you're not uh, stimulating it in some way, it'll be hard to think of new ideas and you will find yourself blocked creatively exactly. uh, many times. Exactly. So. So there are, there are lots of, there are lots of benefits. We, we, we could wax poetic for <laughs> yeah, yeah. hours and hours about all the great benefits. So, so if you are listening to this and you are new, you are, you are new, you may be uninitiated, um, new person to, to gaming, or if a gamer in your life said, please listen to this episode and, and, and hear why it is I do what I do. Um, don't be afraid to, to try because, uh, one of the things that I'm sure Rhonda's experienced I know I've experienced a lot is jumping in and not knowing what I'm doing and failing repeatedly until I figure it out. And I think it's a really great gaming is a really great place to do that, to to figure out those puzzle pieces, to figure out that problem solving and to test it out in a place where you get an opportunity to try something, to learn something in a place where maybe the consequences aren't going to be as devastating as they might be in your RL. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's safe. It's friendly. It's safe. And it's a, uh, a friendly environment. You can play by yourself. You can play with others. You can do it any way you want. And if you're, you're playing a game on your phone, you're, you're, you're gaming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if you are interested in learning more about um, PC gaming, don't forget that Game on Girl does have a group on Steam, which is a gaming community where you can purchase and manage games. Um, and you can hop on and play. And I've been playing Civ Five, and I play Left 4 Dead there. So you can always join me as Doc Liz with two Zs, which is the same as my Twitter handle. So you can catch me 
on Twitter. Uh, I often announce when I'm going to go game on there as well. So if you want to come check it out and play with me, you're welcome to do that. Yeah, and I'm sure if you ask a gamer friend or, or a kid in your family, they would be happy to show you how to hook up on that. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you joining us today. If you've got any feedback or any questions, please contact us either through Twitter at game underscore on underscore girl or on our website, gameongirl.com. You can email Regina at gameongirl.com. And we're on Facebook at Game on Girl Podcast. I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can reach me on Twitter at RowRoom. That's R-H-O-R-H-O-O-M. Or you can read my tech blog at DrillOnTheFrog.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Zs, as I'm known on Twitter and Steam. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear if we missed any aspect of game culture that you think belongs in Game Culture 101, or is a very basic aspect of game culture that you think we overlooked. Please, please let us know on the website. This podcast is edited with Audacity. And we'd like to thank Triple Fox, who we've been using their theme song, Good Day, for for six months now. And uh, we love that song. So if they ever listen, thanks, guys. We really appreciate it. And until next time, game on.